Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homers and Podcast, part of uh, the uh, Crimson and Cream Machine podcasting group, uh, mm-hmm. part of the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Iowa State Cyclones today with uh, Levi Stevenson of Wide Right Natty Light, a longtime uh, Iowa State blog that uh, I've always enjoyed reading. They always get up to uh, really, really funny stuff over there and uh, you know, have a good handle on what's up with the Cyclones. So let's go ahead. Welcome uh, Levi on. Levi, how you doing? Not too bad. Just uh, going to get ready to do it. Hold on. Ah, crack open the nice cold. Actually, this is a Natter Days. So. Oh, nice, nice. So, uh, which flavor? And which flavor is that one? It's it's pink lemonade. Ah, it's delicious. Quite tasty. This is ah, there it's it really is. underrated, honestly. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's uh been quite a nice little uh, addition there to the Natural Light family. So. Absolutely, it's a great summer drink. Yeah, per- perfect, perfect. So. Awesome. Well, tell me, man, what's it like? Uh, this has got to be feel kind of new for an Iowa State fan, uh, you know, uh, with uh, the Cyclones being picked third, uh, you know, in the preseason uh, Big 12 media poll. Uh, got to be, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a kind of a different experience for you. It's a this is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's it's uncharted territory for us a little bit because uh, we're used to being picked like third last. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and now I think even was it last year even they were picked seventh or something like that. So I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's uncharted territory, but I think we're uh, we're ready for it. I think. Yeah, you know, uh, I said uh, you know that watching really uh, Iowa State in the first season there under Matt Campbell, um, you know, I could tell right away actually that I felt felt like they were going to be vastly improved under him. Uh, you know, they they just. They played hard. They were really kind of uh, well organized and everything. I mean, if you had to though, like, yeah, pick one thing that you'd say was has been the key to really kind of, you know, putting Iowa State into that next kind of tier, what would it be? Uh, it, it all starts with, as Matt Campbell would tell you too. It all starts with player driven leadership and program culture. Um, before before he came in. There were some talented guys on the roster, but there were also a lot of bad apples on there that they were just toxic to program culture. They had terrible work habits. They um, they they basically they worked against everything that a program needs from a culture perspective to be successful. Um, and now he's been recruiting. You know, he he found leaders on the team when he got there, like Joel Landing and like Kyle Kempt. Uh, he found those guys, and then he. And then, and then he recruited leaders like Dave Montgomery, like Ray Lima, uh, guys that are that were program culture changers, basically. So then you had, uh, you know, as the as the legend goes, basically, it was after the first after Matt Campbell's, excuse me, beer burp, mm-hmm. after uh, after uh, Matt Campbell's first season in January, uh, the January following that season, as the legend goes, anyways, they were the coaching staff was in there getting ready to kind of pack up for the day, and they noticed somebody running around in the in the uh, practice facility and there was dave montgomery out there by himself running doing drills and stuff like that and they saw him doing that and they're like damn this guy's really impressive and then you know a couple days later some more guys are with him and then more guys are with him more guys are with him suddenly you had the entire team out there doing drills or in the weight room or whatever on you know at two in the morning between free between you know saturday you know early saturday morning basically instead of going out these guys started lifting and doing drills and watching film and all this and doing all of the extra stuff that you need to be a successful fo- football program. Um, and that's, that's been the biggest, that's been the biggest thing so far is, is that player driven leadership and, and the change in culture, because there's always been, I would say it's had talents on both sides of the ball. We've had, 
you know, we've had some, we've had good running backs. We've had good receivers. We've had lots and lots of good linebackers, some good corners, safeties, defensive linemen. We've had all of that. Um, but you know, it just, it never all quite came together because that culture just wasn't there. That culture of doing the extra stuff that you need to be successful, you know, in every game and not just a few games a year. Right. Now, one of the guys you just mentioned there, David Montgomery, uh, is a you know big loss this year. He was a really kind of a slippery back, but also a physical runner. Really kind of helped set the tone for their offense last season. Uh, how do you feel about their ability to you know kind of make up what they lost there with Montgomery? Uh, I feel really good about it, actually, because you, there's five running backs in the room right now. Sheldon Crony, Kennedy Wangu, Johnny Lang, and two red, two true freshmen, uh, Jarrell Brock and Brees Hall. Uh, who both actually were from up until like the last ratings adjustment were both top 10 running backs um, in their class. Both very talented guys. And they're all a little bit different. Sheldon Crony's a good physical runner, good one cut back. Uh, Kennedy Wongu is extraordinarily fast. He, and he's, he's a, he's a, he's a kick, kick return. He was a second team all big 12 kick return last year after he blew his Achilles. And he was a first team, all, uh, all kick, all team kick or first team, all big 12 kick returner uh, his freshman year. Uh, really fast guy can catch it out of the backfield. Johnny Lang can do a little bit of everything. He's a little bit smaller, but he can do pretty much everything. Uh, Jarrell Brock and Brees Hall are both a little, they're both taller, more physical running backs. They can, they can catch the ball out of the backfield. They can run people over. They can get around people. Uh, Brees Hall especially has a lot of breakaway speed. When he starts striding out, he can really take off. Um, so from a talent and skill and skill perspective, yeah, I'm not, I honestly, I'm not really expecting any drop off. Um, they have they have the talent to make up what David what what they lose in David because um, what David was really good at was he was turned good at turning nothing into something and something into a lot um, which is what I mean that's what that's what good running backs do uh, but David did it better than most and he had to because Iowa State's offensive line was not good in 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 run block uh, so he would find himself taking on defensive ends and linebackers at the line of scrimmage I mean I think. For his career, he averaged just over four yards a carry, which is you know nothing to brag about. But on average, he averages like three yards after contact. So I mean, he was basically getting hit at the line of scrimmage every single carry, and he gained like eighty percent of his total yards or more after contact, uh, which is incredible. It's an, it's an absurd stat. Um, so this year, the offensive line. It's projected to be quite a bit better. They've got everybody back. They showed a lot of improvement uh, towards the end of last season. And actually, in the Alamo Bowl, if you, you know, I, you can't really say that you can. But if you do get rid of the, all the false start penalties they had, they actually they ran over Washington State's defensive line, which the Washington State had a good defense last year. Um, they they bowled them over. Iowa State had like 150 more yards than them, and, and against a team that's known for putting up yards. Um, the offense was working good that game. The, the offensive line was getting push for the running backs. It was all working fairly well. Just the the penalties ended up killing them. So you get everybody back. They can hopefully iron out those penalties. And if they can if they can pick up where they left off at the at the Elmo Bowl, the running back should get more space than David ever got. Um, and I this is this will be a good hot take for you. But I would argue that guys like Brees Hall and Kennedy Wongu are are actually probably better equipped to to take advantage of that extra space because they have a little bit more top end speed than David did. Um, Dave was really good at doing. He was he was everything that Iowa State needed when he was there. He was what they needed when they needed it. Now 
they don't they may not necessarily need a guy that can break 100 tackles every play and hopefully turn zero yards into six or 10 or whatever. Now they need a guy that can hopefully turn a couple yards of space into 10 to 15 yards. And they have guys now like Brees Hall and Kennedy Wongu and Jarrell Brock and and Johnny Lang that are cap- that are probably more capable of doing that than David was. Right. Talking with uh, Levi Stevenson of Wide Ride Natty Light. So I guess, Levi, looking at that uh, breakdown, is Brock going to be the guy you feel like that eventually by the end of the season kind of steps in to fill that feature back role or will be Nwongo? Who do you think is going to be? If I was a betting man, I would say that by the time Young Bay, by the time Iowa State goes down to Norman, it would not shock me if Brees Hall was the starter. Oh, okay. uh, Darrell Brock was actually the higher rated recruit, but Brees Hall was here in the spring. Darrell Brock was not. Mm-hmm. Um, there was lots of good reviews that came out of Brees Hall uh, for the spring that he showed out really well. So he was a really smart player. Had you know they, he's, he's quick, he's tall, he's physical. Um, so I would say just just because of the head start that Brees got on Jarrell, if if one of those two was going to start, I would guess it'd probably be Brees Hall because he'll probably get more carries early on because he'll be ready for it. Um, but I, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all if Jarrell Brock ends up as a starter by then. But if I was just going to have to put my money down on one guy, I would say Brees Hall probably ends up being the starter by the end of the season. But but the great part about the Iowa State running back situation is that it's totally different than it's been in the past because we've had this whole running back by committee thing before, and it was all because we had five terrible running backs and we <laughs> yeah. had to figure out which one was the least bad. Uh, but now we have five good running backs. And, I mean, any of them, if they started, you'd be like, okay, that's fine. Like, no – there isn't a single one of those five that anybody would con- that anybody would contend at all. Now, if like Sheldon Crony started, who was kind of a you know he's been a backup for most of his career, got you know has played fairly well when he has played, but he hasn't you know gotten a ton of carries just because partially because there's been a lot of talent in front of him. Um, but you know, just if someone if if Sheldon Crony starts, it's probably because he's just really improved because there's a lot of there's a lot of talent behind him. Um, and we've heard a lot of good things about everybody else. So if, even if Sheldon Crony starts, you still feel good about it because that means he's probably earned that spot. And Matt Campbell is pretty – he's you know, he, he's made it well known that he will not play anybody before they're ready. Um, if Sheldon Crony wasn't ready to play, he wouldn't play. Right. So, you know, another big uh, loss, though, I feel like this year is Akeem Butler, and he might be a, even a little bit harder, I think, to uh, – you know, kind of replaced just because of the physicality he brought to the position, his size. I mean, everybody saw what he did to Oklahoma last year. But, uh, you know, how do you make up for that loss? So that one will another be another one. It'll be sort of by committee, but it'll be it, – part of the load will also be moved to the tight ends because Iowa State's got actually got a lot of good tight ends right now. They've got three of them that you would be comfortable with being your, your first your first option, uh, Charlie Kohler. Uh, Dylan Saner and, and Chase Allen. Um, Dylan Saner will probably be he'll probably be takeovers for Sam Seenbuckner's uh, role in in the H back slot, where he'll be largely kind of a a blocking back. With you know he'll occasionally slip out for screens and stuff like that sometimes, but mostly be used as a blocker. But uh, Charlie Kohler last season had a few touchdowns, which was the first time that Iowa State and Iowa State tight end had caught a touchdown pass since EJ Bibbs, I think, in 2014 or 15. Uh, it's been it been a long time since a tight end caught a touchdown pass. Um, they both show lots and lots of promise. I know they're planning on using them all over the field, maybe multiple multiple tight ends at a time. Um, they're all, I mean, they're all six six. I think they might all be six seven or taller. 
Um, I think I think Chase Allen is the shortest one, like six six and a half. I mean, so they're all big physical dudes that can really catch and they can end, and they're good route runners. Um, and it'll be a little bit different at the receiver spot than we're used to seeing because we've had Alan Lazard and Hakeem Butler for you know five years basically. Um, so it'll be a little bit different that we're not seeing a huge, like, really physically imposing receiver out there. Uh, at least, at least right away, I should say, because uh, you know it, the receiving corpus will definitely be led by Tyreek, or sorry, by Tariq Milton and Deshante Jones, um, both ex- excellent route runners. They're quicker, you know, they're they're quick. Ty- um, they're both very good route runners. They're good at finding space. Uh, Tariq Milton has lots of top end speed where he can be a vertical threat. He'll probably, you know, he could he can line up in the slot, and they will do that at times. Um, but he has all the speed and, and ability in the world that he can play that outside X receiver spot too. Um, so those two will be the main leaders, but then you have guys like Joe Skates, who was a, who was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, he, which, you know, for Oklahoma, that might not be a big deal, but for Iowa state, that's a big deal. Um, he's, he's, he's Iowa state's second highest rated, uh, receiver that they've ever gotten after Alan Lazard. Um, he's a, he's a really talented, really talented player. He's a redshirt freshman. Uh, he could, he could jump up. We've seen, uh, Landon Akers made, made a few nice catches last year. He's got lots of speed to burn. Um, if you're looking for another, like, the next tall Iowa State receiver, Sean Shaw, out of uh, out of Oklahoma, he's a uh, he's all of six seven, I would say, or he's all of six six for sure, probably a little bit closer to six seven. So he's actually, I think he's a little bit taller than Hakeem Butler was. Um, so he's and he and we've been hearing lots of great things uh, about him out of uh, out of spring practice and out of, out of summer workouts and things like that. Um, so you know, that's he certainly could step up and you know. We, maybe we just fill that role one for one. Um, but the great part is that they'll, they'll spread it around a little bit more because, you know, it, when part of it goes back to the quarterback situation too because last season you go into the season with Kyle Kemp as your projected starter, uh, which you've totally feel comfortable with him running, you know, pretty much all of the offense. He's yeah. he a smart guy, doesn't make any mistakes, uh, but then goes down like in the first series against Iowa. And then you immediately have to turn to Zeb Noland, who has you know been in the system for a while, but you know he's he's somewhat limited as a quarterback. And then he plays okay for a little bit, and then doesn't play very you know actually played pretty good against Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, but then really really struggled against TCU. And then you know after that he gets benched for Brock Purdy, who Brock Purdy comes in lights the world on fire against Oklahoma State and, and really plays plays really well uh, for the rest of the season, um, but. He's a freshman, so you you can't really you can't really turn him loose. You have to keep the playbook somewhat simple, so that in with simpler concepts, so that he can still be effective and he can still be in a position to succeed. Uh, but there isn't there isn't too much on his plate, so they had to really really cut down the playbook for him last year. And you know, a really good when your when your playbook is small and you need a first down or you need a big play, what's a really good play? Throw it to Hakeem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you send Hakeem 30 yards downfield and you throw it within 10 yards of him and he'll probably come down with it. And that was a really good – it was just a really nice thing to have in the bag because, you know, it was a good – if Brock Purdy needed a place to go with the ball, he just threw it to Hakeem and it was no big deal. Not to say that that's like the limit of his skill set, um, but that was where he was limited with his playbook. And, I mean, if you have a weapon like that, might as well use it. Um, so – you know, while like la- while last year a huge portion of the re- total receiving yards went to Hakeem, and that was part that was mostly because it was partly out of necessity because, uh, you know, because you have a young quarterback that just needs a big target to throw to. That's a simple read, um, and just because he's Hakeem, he's so good that you 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 just want to get him the ball as much as you can. Uh, 
but there's plenty of other capable receivers on the roster this year. The the receiver room is probably deeper this year than it was last year. It's just it's just really young. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a having Brock Purdy back, where now he'll have a full playbook to work with, and he's a lot more flexible than Kyle Kemp is because he's a much much better runner. Uh, where he's actually a dangerous runner. He's not just like an effective scramble runner. I mean, you can call runs for Brock Purdy, um, and he'll and he'll get you yardage. Um, so you have a significantly expanded playbook. You have playmakers at tight end. You have lots of playmakers at receiver that are good at getting open. You have guys out of the running back spot uh, that can that can catch out of the backfield. Like Kanade Wangu and Johnny Lang, you'll probably see them line up even at on, in the slot at times. Um, so he's got weapons all over the field. If you know, if the offensive line can help him a little bit, I think uh, Brock Purdy can be successful, and that means the receivers are successful. Right. Now, Purdy was a pretty big surprise, I think, last year when it came to uh, the rest of the Big 12. Looking at this season, you know, I know you mentioned that they want to, you know, kind of expand the playbook with him, but what would you say are the things that, uh, or, or if you had to pick, I guess, maybe let's say one thing that he could do better this year than last year that, you know, or where you expect to see improvement, what would it be? Uh, the main thing I expect to see improvement on really is uh, is just decision making because there was a times last year you know for as good as Brock Purdy was which was literally by you know by efficiency rating he was actually the sixth best quarterback in the country last year he had the mm-hmm. sixth he had the sixth best quarterback rating in the country and better like kind of a healthy margin better than the second best freshman which was Trevor Lawrence yeah <laughs> um, he's even he was even a little bit better he was quite a bit better than Trevor Lawrence. Um, so what I'm looking for, but but what you still did see though is you saw you saw some of those freshman mistakes where he would might stare down a receiver, or he threw uh, you know like in the Alamo Bowl he kind of stared down Hakeem, um, and in the uh, corner jumped the curl route and and took it back to uh, mm-hmm. took it back to six you know stuff like that where that's that's something that you kind of expect a freshman to make those plays because they're not used to seeing corners that are maybe that quite that athletic or that they're it's just a different read than he's maybe used to. Um, watching game film, and I, I would expect to see him make fewer mistakes uh, you know, on a per-game basis, I guess. Um, that that would be really the biggest decision, uh, you know, or the biggest improvement that I guess he can make is just is just his decision-making um, and avoiding those silly mistakes. You know, every quarterback's going to throw interceptions. Tom Brady throws interceptions. Um one thing that Brock does really well already and that what's allowed him to be so successful is that he's really good. If he does throw an interception, he doesn't, he doesn't get down about it. He just moves on and he just, he just goes and he just does his thing. He's, he's not like Kyle Kemp where he's just basically a robot, but, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if Brock Perry throws an interception, he learns from it. He doesn't get down. He just learns from it when he's, you know, when things are great, he's, you know, he's smiling, he's having fun. You can tell the guy has fun too. Which is which I think is kind of an underrated thing. He's got, I I, I kind of hate to make this comparison because I'm not I'm not comparing comparing him as an overall talent or as a player, but he kind of has a little bit of a Baker Mayfield type attitude mm-hmm. with. He's he's a he's a maybe a more palatable version of Baker. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I, like I'm, it's not it's not a knock on Baker. No no I'm, no no I got you. I, yeah, I love watching Baker, but you know he does he does he's a, he can be abrasive at times. Um, Brock Purdy is is the. He's he's a he's the he's has the confidence that Baker Mayfield did or does um, without being maybe quite so abrasive at times, basically, is where you're at with it, which is that's a perfect middle ground for me where he's not he's not making, you know, making controversial statements. He's not making headlines, doing things he's not supposed to be doing, but he's got all the confidence that you want your quarterback to have. Um, 
so he's already got a base. He's already got a base uh, in the, in those intangibles that you expect to see out of a senior, and he he had that as a freshman. So um, it's really it's really about reps. It's about watching game film, just cutting down on the silly mistakes. Right, right. Well, let's talk about the other side of the ball. This is a really intriguing unit. Obviously, uh, you know they're kind of setting the standard right now for how teams try to uh, defend the spread and slow down the spread there in uh, Big Twelve country. Um, if you had to like say what your biggest concern overall about Iowa State's defense is, what would it be? Because I can't imagine there are a lot. Uh, no, the concerns are pretty minimal. I would say if there is a concern, I, I suppose it's that. Uh, you graduated uh, Brian Peavy and DeAndre Payne as corners, which are both they were both uh, really ex- Ooh, excuse me really experienced and um, uh, I mean Brian Peavy for all intents and purposes was you know he was statistically like the best corner in the country um, as far as locking down his receivers. Uh, so losing that experience, uh, you know that would be somewhat worrisome. Now we've got two guys behind him, Detroit Young and Anthony Johnson, that both played a ton of snaps last year as freshmen. Um, and everybody has all the confidence in the world in those two. They're both plenty. They're both they're both probably more physically gifted than Brian Peavy and DeAndre Payne were. Um, so their ceiling is higher. And I, I mean, they they played well last year, and I don't I don't have any doubts in them that they'll be fine. Um, but I suppose if there was any concern, it would probably be that. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, how good do you think that this defensive line can be? I mean, uh, I look at it, and to me, you know, for all the talk about how good uh, Iowa State has been at safety or, or even linebacker, which is true, the defensive line kind of makes it work. Yeah, well, that 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 three man front uh, still being you know still hope, being one of the best run stopping units in the country as a three man front is pretty impressive, and um, it's it really it, it all revolves around Ray Lima who. Mm-hmm continues to be he's finally starting to get some recognition he's so he's showing up on some watch lists and stuff like that but he's still he's still wildly underrated on a national level for what as far as what he does because he totally anchors that defense the defensive line and the defense as a whole um because he basically he eats up two offensive linemen no matter what period mm-hmm. he just he eats up two linemen every single play which creates which then allows iowa state to create numbers advantages um, whether it's whether it's blitzers off the edge or you have safeties coming down, like whether it's Isworth or Braxton Lewis uh, coming down as safety as blitzers from the safety spot, you know and that and that creates some serious havoc uh, for for the offense to to account for. And we saw it against West Virginia. Will Greer had a really tough time dealing mm-hmm. with dealing. There was they weren't bringing a lot of blitzers. You know they maybe brought five a couple times, but most of the time they were bringing only three or four people. Uh, but but Will Greer had a a really tough time with it because. Ray Lima was eaten up two or sometimes even three offensive linemen in the middle of that in the middle of that formation. Then you have free you have free blitzers running from the safety spot. Um, they sacked him seven times that game, um, and it, it really does all start with Ray Lima. And then you know, next to him, he's got Jaquan Bailey, who the next the next time he touches a quarterback, he will break the school record in all time sacks. Um, he's he's the best defensive lineman we've ever had, uh, and he'll be I mean he'll be an NFL pick. Uh, he's he's the he's the best define he, in my mind and I guess a lot of people think so as well that he's the best defensive lineman in the Big 12 conference. Um, he's he's gotten better every single year he's been in an Iowa State uniform and he's going to continue to get better, especially as he because uh, part of his problem was that he was he's he was always really athletic and a really aggressive pass rusher, and, but sometimes he would over pursue and sometimes he would lose his gap assignments on mm-hmm. run on on runs and things like that, which is sometimes, you know, that's young defensive ends do that. Um, but he's matured significantly. Now he doesn't blow, 
gap assignments on running plays, and he's really good about not over-pursuing a quarterback and giving up scramble lanes and things like that. He's a really, really high-level pass rusher now and, and run stopper now. Um, and then across from him, you got Enyo Wazirike, who a lot of I mean, a lot of the coaches think that he's probably got a higher ceiling than Jaquan does. They think he's probably going to end up being better. Um, he, he's an he's an immensely talented uh, player, and it was kind of too bad that he got taken out of the out of the Alamo Bowl when he did, because he was having a really good game, and he could have really helped uh, uh, keep. He, he could have helped Gardner Minshew uh, or help protect from Gardner Minshew kind of doing what he did there in the second half. Um, so you, you've got a defensive line. And then behind those three, you've got another set of three. Jamal Johnson, who's a, probably actually a better pass rusher than Ray, Ray Lima is. Ray Lima is a better run stopper. Jamal Johnson's probably a better pass rusher. You've got a, you know, you've got a couple really talented young guys. you got like Zach Peterson and Matt Leo, uh, who Oklahoma recruited as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got some really talented passers. It's a really deep unit. Um, I think it was last year. I think it was last year. It was three or four games in a row uh, that twenty-four different people made a tackle in the in a game. Wow! It's, I mean, they're just the defense is crazy deep everywhere. Yeah. It's good talent. Um, so you you only have to have Ray Lima playing half the snaps in a game because and he can rest and be ready to go because you don't you're you're okay if Jamal Johnson's in the game. You're not losing anything. Um, and that defensive line really anchors the whole thing because they. They're excellent in in their gap assignments. They're excellent in, in rushing the passer, so that you can only you only have to bring three or four people, and you can get a pretty good pass rush. And especially if the guy if the guy can't scramble, um, then you're in you're in really good shape. Right, right. So you know, looking I guess overall at this team and and looking ahead of the season, what would you say would be you know a good year? What you know, an expectations or a good year for uh, the Cyclones as, as a whole? So I think. I, I, I mean, a good year, I think, is is people will be happy with eight and four, um, you know, because, you know, at, at Baylor is going to be a tough game. Oklahoma is obviously tough. Texas is going to be it's at Texas at home, but it's still Texas. They're still going to be a, a decent team. You know, Oklahoma State could surprise people. Te- you know, who knows where TCU is going to be if they get their quarterback situation figured out. They could be good. The Iowa game is always tough. You know, so there's there's something there's some potential pitfalls in that schedule, um, especially if they start. uh and at Texas Tech, I suppose it could be a trap game in there as well. Um, so there's some places where that you know they'll they'll play a lot of tough games this year. So uh, you know nobody's going to be upset if they lose to Texas and Oklahoma and Baylor. Like nobody's and even if they lose to Iowa too, and end up eight and four, I don't think anybody's going to be upset about that year. That's probably another Alamo Bowl, which everyone's totally fine with. Um, I think if people will feel if if they go nine and three this year, or or even better, or even if they go ten and two. Uh, nine and three or ten and two. I think at that point now you're. I mean, we're feeling really good then. I mean, that's that is a confirmation that I was that it, you know these past two seasons haven't been, you know, the product of having a really talented running back and a really talented receiver uh, leading the team. You know, it's now it's the defense is here to stay because they've got talent. And the best part is that a lot of it's coming back next year too. Mm-hmm. You're, you're losing Ray Lee and Jaquan Bailey, but at, you know, there's like I said, there's talent behind them. Um, you know. The defense is going to continue to be good in the future. Uh, they've got lots of talent everywhere, and most of the offense will be back too. You'll lose a few. You'll lose a few linemen, but you're going to keep basically all of your receivers. You're going to keep Brock Purdy. You'll have almost all of your running backs back. Um, so, you know, if they if they go something like nine and three or ten and two, then all of a sudden expectations for 2020 start. I mean, then then we're now we're talking about having real conversations about being in playoff contention. You know, mm. from the from the beginning. 
Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's definitely a lot of promise on that roster going right, forward. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, Greg, Greg Eisworth is probably the best safety in the conference. I I would argue. Now that's being maybe a homer pick, but yeah, I think he's the best safety in the conference, and he's probably top five in college football. And I mean, he's only a junior, yeah. <laughs> so right. I mean, he'll be. I mean, and he's an he's an enormous asset too because now he's he's good enough at what he does that they're they've actually moved him to the star role. He's not actually a, a true safety anymore. They moved him to what we we call the star role. It's kind of that roving safety in the middle of that in mm-hmm. the middle of that. Two six three three five type of thing, where he'll they'll he'll sometimes he'll function as as basically another linebacker, or sometimes he'll function as a safety or even a corner at times, um, just because he's he's just that good, and you just need to give him flexibility to do what he can do. Um, he's unbelievable, and he's I mean he's he exceeded everybody's expectations even last year, and we knew he we knew he would be good, uh, but I think he exceeded everybody's expectations last year. Um, and he's he's like if there's I mean if there's an anchor at the back end of that defense, he's absolutely that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great player. Great player. Well, so uh, season's about to start up. Uh, what do you guys have going on at uh, Wide Right Natty Light? So, well, I mean, we'll have uh, next over the next few weeks, we'll have our season previews and all that. Right now we're doing our few pieces on like the on the top 50 greatest Cyclone players of all time. Um, but as we get into closer to the season, we have a, a live we actually do a live tailgate show. Um, so basically a, a live podcast, essentially, where we bring out mics and we do kind of our own little radio version of college game day but we, you know, <laughs> nice. we yeah i mean we're we're we, we started last year and we had a great time with it it was we we had it was a very successful um we had lots of good feedback from it and we're gonna we're excited to continue to do that so i guess if any any uh i guess you guys won't be coming up here this year but um you know next time any sooner fans are up there you know definitely you can stop by our tailgate in the in a, and just have a beer with us and if you you know maybe be on the show or something like that and we do we do fun games and things like that. And then, you know, uh, we're looking forward to, cause this is the first year probably ever that we've had a pretty good case that we might be on college game day and that might become names too. So that'll be, if they yeah. come for the Apple game, that's going to be something else. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, uh, you know, Iowa state fans are some of my favorites in the big 12. So, you know, uh, I, I got to get up to Ames. I think I feel like for a game, hopefully. So, uh, maybe I'll be able to drop by your, uh, your show and, uh, check out what you guys are doing. Absolutely. You're, you can come on anytime you want. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Well, thanks again, Levi. I really do appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks again to Levi Stevenson of uh, Wide Right Natty Light. Make sure to check them out for all your uh, Iowa State news and information. And uh, again, please uh, make sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review if you're so inclined, and uh, you know, let us know, uh, give us any feedback you got on the show. So thanks again to uh, Levi Stevenson. Thanks to you all for joining us too. Uh, for the Wayne Orson Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. Take it easy.